We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama Bertrand Tungandame ngaya. Hello, I'm Bertrand Tungandame in Gomeroi language. I'm very happy to be with you this Monday, May 23rd, a day that will be engraved in history with the swearing-in of Anthony Albanese as Australia's new Prime Minister, the first time a Labour leader holds the top job in 10 years, leading what is already dubbed Australia's most multicultural government with a new parliament comprising a record number of Indigenous MPs. We'll develop this story with NITV's political correspondent, Sarah Collard. In this program, we also look at how the incoming and outgoing Prime Ministers spent the day yesterday after the weekend's historical election. And on a lighter note, we continue the conversation started last week with Isaiah Firebreast as the singer-songwriter shares his story about his music, his life and his projects, including an upcoming book. But first, the latest news on NITV Radio. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directed outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. Anthony Albanese holds his first press conference as Prime Minister as he heads off to the Quad Leaders meeting in Tokyo. Incoming Indigenous Affairs Minister Linda Burney has reiterated Labour's commitment to implementing the Uluru Statement from the Heart in full. And Volodymyr Zelensky warns of further bloodshed as Russia intensifies its military offensive in Ukraine's east. Minister Anthony Albanese has given his first press conference in Canberra before flying to Tokyo for his first official meeting with the leaders of Japan, the United States and India. There was already a visual difference in the press conference. The Prime Minister stood in front of the Australian flag as well as the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flags. Anthony Albanese says he's already reached out to the crossbench as vote counting continues and it remains unclear whether Labour will be able to form a majority government. He's also indicated there will be a change in leadership in the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet as he recommitted to not making cuts to the public sector. The new Prime Minister also made mention of the government's new priorities, including climate change policy and a Federal Integrity Commission, and seeking to bring Australians together. Uh, I look forward to uh, leading a government that makes Australians proud, a government that doesn't seek to divide, 
that doesn't seek to have wedges, but seeks to bring people together for our common interest and our common purpose. Antonio Albanese's transition to the top office was expedited ahead of a diplomatic visit to Tokyo. Four other Labour ministers have also been sworn in, incoming Deputy Prime Minister Richard Marles, new Treasurer Jim Chalmers, Finance Minister Katie Gallagher and Foreign Minister Penny Wong. Mr Albanese and his Foreign Minister Penny Wong headed to Tokyo this afternoon for the Quad Leaders meeting with US President Joe Biden, host leader Fumio Kishida and Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Labour's full ministry will be sworn in next Wednesday, the 1st of June. Labour's incoming Indigenous Affairs Minister Linda Burney has reiterated the party's commitment to implementing the Uluru Statement from the Heart in full. On Saturday night, it was the first words out of Anthony Albanese's mouth as new Prime Minister of Australia. The Uluru Statement was handed down in 2017 and calls for constitutional reforms to empower Australia's First Nations peoples, including a constitutionally enshrined voice to Parliament, a Makarata Commission overseeing treaty agreement making, as well as a national truth-telling process. Linda Burney, who will assume the portfolio once the full ministry is sworn in, told the ABC it will be an enormous amount of work to apply the statement, but it is a top priority for the new Labour government. Anthony and I went out to Uluru over 12 months ago to recommit Labour to the implementation of the Uluru Statement. And remarkably, Patricia, uh, this week is five years since the Uluru Statement was made. Um, It is a very high priority and 100% supported by the Labour caucus. In the meantime, hundreds of people in Japan are protesting ahead of the Quad leaders' meeting in Tokyo. Some demonstrators marched, others sat cross-legged on the ground wearing bright yellow vests reading No War in English and oppose wars, crash war-oriented meetings in Japanese. Ota was among those taking part and told CCTV she fears the meeting will only extend the conflict in Ukraine. West European countries and NATO members led by the US have intensified the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, provided military supplies, imposing sanctions on Russia. All this will not stop the conflict, but intensify and prolong it instead. I can't forgive such actions. And back home, climate advocates are calling on the new government to make significant improvements to tackle the issue of climate change. President of the Bushfire Survivors for Climate Action and a bushfire survivor herself, Joe Dodds, says with growing awareness, climate change has been a key motivator for many voters in the lead-up to the election. Ms Dodds says the environment is delicate and authorities need to take urgent action. We want to see progress on this issue, desperately, urgently, fast progress, because I think the the zero emission targets need to be as tight as possible because nature isn't going to wait for us to muck around here. We need to get cracking on reducing our greenhouse gas emissions. The World Health Organization has called an emergency meeting to discuss the recent outbreak of monkeypox, a viral infection that has now spread to several countries across Europe, as well as the US, Canada and Australia. First identified in monkeys, monkeypox is more common to West and Central Africa and typically spreads through close contact. 
Symptoms often include fever, headaches, and skin rashes. Over 100 cases were confirmed or suspected in Europe last week in what Germany has described as the largest outbreak of the virus ever in Europe. Dr. Teresa Tam is Canada's chief public health officer. It's unusual for the world uh, to see this many cases reported in different countries uh, outside of uh, Africa. I think at the beginning of any outbreak, we should cast the net wide to try and understand the transmission routes. We don't understand it enough. There's probably been some hidden chains of transmission that could have occurred for quite a, a number of weeks, uh, given the sort of global uh, situation that we're seeing right now. There's no specific vaccine for monkeypox, but the World Health Organization says that vaccines used to eradicate smallpox are up to 85% effective against the disease. Ukraine's president Volodymyr Zelensky says further lives will be lost as Russia intensifies its military offensive in Ukraine's east. It follows reports of increasing artillery and missile attacks in the Donbas region in an effort to expand the territory that Russia-backed separatists have held since 2014. Ukrainian parliament has voted to extend martial law and the mobilization of armed forces in response until August the 23rd. Polish President Andrzej Duda has travelled to Kiev, becoming the first foreign leader to address the country's parliament since the start of the war. Mr. Zelensky spoke alongside him at a press conference. Today, from 50 up to 100 people may die in the most difficult direction, in the east of our state. They are defending our state and our independence, which everyone in the world is talking about. Everyone says so, but we personally feel it very much. The United States is flying in 35 tons of baby formula from Europe to help address a nationwide shortage. The situation is being driven by global supply chain issues along with a contamination problem at one of the leading U.S. manufacturers. Some parents have even had to resort to seeking out infant formula and milk via social media as a result. The military flights are being authorized by the Biden administration, with the effort being referred to as Operation Fly Formula. New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has shaken off the effects of COVID-19 and is traveling to the United States. The visit is aimed at boosting exports and luring more tourists as the Pacific nation looks to fully reopen its borders after more than two years of restrictions. The trip was in doubt when Ms. Ardern contracted the virus a week ago, midway through to a two-week isolation period which began when her partner Clark Gayford tested positive. Ms. Aden will meet with major tech companies, the United Nations Secretary General and the California Governor, but it's not yet clear whether she will meet with President Joe Biden. Another detainee has been found dead at Villa Wood Detention Center in Sydney. The detainee is reportedly a woman from New Zealand aged in her 30s whose visa had been cancelled under Section 501, a part of the Migration Act that revolves around satisfying a character test. It can be cancelled automatically in some circumstances if the person has served prison sentences totaling a particular length. 
The woman's particular circumstances remain unknown, but it's understood she was found unresponsive in her room at the detention center on Sunday morning by other detainees. Ian Rintoul from the Refugee Action Coalition has accused security company Circle of failing to provide care for the woman despite reports that she was clearly struggling with her mental health. He says there have been several suicides and suicide attempts in Bilawood requiring full investigation. An Iranian asylum seeker committed suicide in March, followed by three other attempts by separate detainees in the following months. SBS is launching its sixth free to air channel today. SBS World Watch will broadcast international news services from 30 countries, giving people the chance to access world news in their preferred language. The dedicated 24-hour channel is also the new home for SBS's Arabic and Mandarin television news bulletins. SBS World Watch is available on Channel 35 and on SBS On Demand. And to sport, Olympic champion Ariana Ariane Tutmos has broken the women's 400-meter freestyle world record at the Australian Swimming Championships in Adelaide. A time of 3 minutes, 56 seconds and 40 milliseconds has beaten United States swimmer Katy Ledecky's record by 0.06 seconds. Ledecky's time was set during the 2016 Olympics in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. Tutmos says she's feeling the happiest she's ever been in her life, in and out of the pool. And the Australian swimmer says she thought the world record was definitely within reach if she did the best race she could. And now having a look at the weather around the country, Broome, a cloudy day, 33 degrees, Perth, showers, 19, Adelaide, mostly sunny, 22, Melbourne, mostly sunny as well, at the top of 15, Hobart, partly cloudy, 15, Albury, Wodonga, mostly sunny, 18, Canberra, partly cloudy, 16, Wollongong, showers, 18, Sydney, showers as well, 19 degrees, Newcastle, showers, 20, Brisbane, also showers, 22, Townsville, mostly cloudy, 27, Keynes, Partly cloudy 29, Adley Springs, mostly sunny 25, Darwin, a sunny day 34 degrees, and the Torres Strait Islands, a sunny day and a top of 30 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. color of our flag by a salter water band and as you heard in the news actually this flag made history again as it was floating in the room where Anthony Albanese was sworn in as prime minister leading Australia's most multicultural government ever and the weekend election as you'll hear has seen a record number of indigenous MPs elected We'll develop this story with NITV's political correspondent Sarah Collard in a moment. Also coming up in the program, we'll look back at a momentous event yesterday, how the incoming and outgoing Prime Ministers spent the day after Saturday's groundbreaking federal election. And on a lighter note, we continue a conversation started last week between Living Black's Color Grant and singer-songwriter Isaiah Firebrace. First, the latest developments from Canberra. NITV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. 
now it's time to catch up with Sarah Collard, NITV political correspondent for the latest news from Canberra. Welcome to NITV Radio, Sarah. Thanks, Bertrand. Thanks for having me. Now, needless to say, there's a lot happening in Canberra after the weekend's election and uh, a new government uh, being sworn in today. Yes, so obviously it's uh, been a big week with the election and now the new government being being sworn in. And this is uh, really um, uh, a really change of heart. You know, it's been almost uh, 10 years since the coalition came to power or they were swept away. So um, now the co- uh, the Labor Party is being uh, sworn in as, as, as this morning and uh, they're immediately getting to work as they prepare to, to head off for the quadrilateral meetings in Japan with world leaders. So that'll be really their first test as a, a new government and in this government and we've also seen record numbers of first nations parliamentarians so linda burney will be the new minister for indigenous affairs as ken wyatt has has lost his seat at hasluck we've also got a number of other parliamentarians he'll uh, she'll of course be joined by patrick dodson malangeri mccarthy jacinta price on the opposition with the country liberal party there's also going to be a slew of uh, senators with uh, the Greens. So Dorinda Cox in Western Australia was re-elected, as was Lydia Thorpe and Janice Stewart in Victoria. So um, this will be a, a really interesting parliament. It's one of the most diverse we've ever had, and there'll be a record number of First Nations parliamentarians in the parliament. And he said that uh, most of them are women as well, not just yes, uh, Indigenous, women but women. front and centre. It's incredible. Yeah, really new era for Australia having uh, this it many. Is, it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, any more, maybe um, some no information uh, going around about uh, the new government's agenda in regards to Indigenous affairs? So uh, the new government has said that their priority will be implementing the Uluru Statement from the Heart in full. So this week it's been five years since that landmark conference with sure Indigenous leaders from all around the country gathering in Uluru to really put forward uh, an agenda, a, a voice to, to Parliament to be enshrined in Constitution, a Makarata, a truth-telling commission, and a, to begin the treaty process. So the work will be beginning immediately, building on from the work from Minister, uh, the previous Minister, Ken Wyatt. Um, so, uh, yes, it's a, a lot of change, but there'll be a number of things that'll be high on the agenda for, for the new government. So some ministers are already sworn, were already sworn in this morning. Uh, any idea for the next batch of ministers to be swearing in today or in the next few days? Yes, so um, we've had Anthony Albanese being sworn in as the PM this morning. There's also been Penny Wong. She's the first uh, foreign-born foreign minister for the country. Uh, Katie Gallagher has also been sworn in and a number of other senior ministers uh, for the Labor government. Um, And they'll be basically being sworn in and and they'll be getting a, a handover from senior government officials so they can begin that work and prep to, to head off to, to Tokyo. Wow, wow. So just hitting the ground running uh, yes, to Tokyo yes. within the first few days of uh, getting into the job. What a ter- terrific so, start. Yes, there'll yeah. be a, a lot of uh, work to be done and it'll be really interesting to see how it's all uh, played out and just... Uh, 
uh, Anthony Albanese is about to give his first speech as a Prime Minister. And, you know, really historic first that they've um, had the Aboriginal and uh, Torres Strait Islander flags prominently displayed in the blue, blue room where the, the Prime Minister will be delivering his speech. And I believe that's the first time that that has happened. Yeah, and you're lucky to be witnessing history being made today. Yes, yes, it's, um, it'll be very interesting and uh, clearly change is afoot. Yeah. Well, Sarah, thank you very much for bringing to us the latest developments uh, from uh, Canberra and we look forward to getting more, actually, uh, developments as uh, things evolve. Definitely. Well, thanks for having me, Bertrand, and we'll speak soon. NITV Radio, on radio, online and mobile. Now, after a fierce campaign battle, the two men facing off to be Australia's 31st Prime Minister spent the day after the election digesting the results in their Sydney electorates. From humble beginnings, Labour's Anthony Albanese has achieved his long-held ambition to become Prime Minister. While the legacy of outgoing Liberal PM Scott Morrison is yet to be written, he says he takes responsibility for his party's poor election performance. Ariana Rusente reports. Incoming Labour Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is celebrating his victory on home soil. He was met by cheers from a crowd in his home suburb of Marrickville, a day after winning the federal election. Mr Albanese has reflected on what this means for him. It was a really big moment and, uh, yeah, no, it's something that's a big moment in my life, but... What I want it to be is a big moment for the country. I do want to change the country. I want to change the way that politics operates in this country. His partner Jodie Hayden says Saturday night's win is still sinking in, but she's really excited. And at Bar Italia in Sydney's Inner West, the chefs were already waiting for their favourite customer. What do you think about our favourite customer, Anthony Albanese, winning the election? What do you think? These locals have shared their thoughts on the Prime Minister-elect. I think he should go all right, with a bit of luck. It'll uh, come to fruition whether he's the man or not, so there's no hiding. Feels pretty good. Actually, his son went to my school, so, you know, I guess it's pretty close to home, so... Yeah, it does. feels pretty good. After almost three decades in the parliament, Anthony Albanese will now become the 31st Prime Minister of Australia, leading Labor to just its fourth victory from opposition since World War II. He is Australia's first Prime Minister with a non-Anglo-Celtic name. He grew up thinking his Italian father, Carlo Albanese, had died, though Mr Albanese learnt the truth as an adult and met him before he died in 2014. In this election moment, the significance of his heritage was not lost. Mr Albanese was first elected to Parliament in 1996 as the member for Graindler. He studied economics at university and his lifelong ambition was fostered in humble beginnings. From public housing and being raised by a single mother on the disability pension, he will now take the highest of office in the country. In his victory speech, Mr Albanese has paid tribute to his mother. To my mum. Mary Ann, who's, who's beaming down on us. Thank you. 
Meanwhile, Scott Morrison spent the day after the election at Horizon Church in Sutherland, delivering his last speech as Prime Minister. God calls us, whether you're a Prime Minister or a pastor, um, running a business, teaching in schools, working in the police force, doesn't matter. We're each called to trust and obey. And uh, that's the life of faithfulness He calls us to. And that's how we live our faith each and every day, regardless of what your job is, and to express it through how you do that. After almost a decade in power, the Liberal National Government has been toppled. Scott Morrison conceded defeat on Saturday night after it became clear his party would not be able to form a majority government. He will step down as Liberal leader at the next party room meeting, but will stay on in Parliament to represent his Cook electorate. Addressing his congregation on Sunday, Mr Morrison held back tears. I'm very pleased that the last thing I say as PM is here. Scott Morrison became Prime Minister in 2018 after a push from the hard-right faction of the Liberal Party that ousted moderate leader Malcolm Turnbull. He governed through one of the most difficult periods in Australia's recent history. As the Black Summer bushfires burnt through most of East Coast Australia, Mr Morrison was condemned for taking a holiday in Hawaii. He led the country through the once-in-a-century COVID-19 pandemic with a relatively low death rate, but was criticised for a slow vaccine rollout and problems with aged care. His supporters say Mr Morrison oversaw a strong economic recovery from the pandemic, with Australia recording an unemployment rate not seen since the 1970s. He was forced by former Liberal staffer Brittany Higgins to confront the treatment of women in Parliament. He took net zero carbon emissions by 2050 to the world stage, and while his rhetoric on China won some allies, it tested relationships in the Pacific. Mr Morrison has accepted responsibility for the loss on Saturday night. To my colleagues tonight who have had to deal with very difficult news and have lost their seats tonight, I, as leader, take responsibility for the wins and the losses. That is the burden and that is the responsibility of leadership. And as a result, I will be handing over the leadership at the next party room meeting to ensure that the party can be taken forward under new leadership, which is the appropriate thing to do. Mr Morrison's high-stakes election campaign tactics have resulted in the decimation of the moderate wing of the Liberal Party, with Liberal Treasurer Josh Frydenberg potentially out of the race for the seat of Kuyong. Conservative Peter Dutton is considered the front-runner for the party's next leader. Meanwhile, Anthony Albanese's first focus in his new role will be on the world stage. After being sworn in as Prime Minister on Monday, he will travel to Tokyo for the Quad Summit to meet with the leaders of the United States, Japan and India. The Quad Leaders Meeting is an absolute priority for Australia and it, is, it enables us to send a message to the world uh, that uh, we, uh, ha there is a change of government, uh, there will be some changes in policy, particularly with regard to climate change and our engagement uh, with the world. And that was Anthony Albanese ending that report by Ariana Lucente for SBS News.
was uh, cool as hell by Baker Boy. Now, something cool that uh, I did not mention in the news, especially in the sports news and in AFL, is something that happened over the weekend. Well, uh, we saw the victory of Nam, as you well know. Nam is the original name of uh, Melbourne. Yes, you heard it. Nam actually beat North Melbourne by 47 points in their 17th straight win with a final score of 100 to 53. The Melbourne Demons have temporarily rebranded the club name to Nam for this weekend's Indigenous Round. And Nam coach Simon Goodwin says he's proud to represent the Aboriginal name of for Melbourne. It's a great thing for our footy club. Um, you know, it was really about building education through the community, being really proud of the Indigenous culture. And um, you speak to our players and they are just so excited to, to be playing for NAM and, um, and to be that footy club. You know, you see it on our polos, you see it everywhere, you see it on the scoreboard today. Um, it's pretty special that we are building this awareness within our community and that everyone has embraced it. And you know, we get to do that again this week and you know, the NAM footy club's one one nil. Conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Now, at the age of 16, your Toyota and Gundish Maramana is a fire brace shot to fame winning the, X, winning the X Factor Australia in 2016 and the following year represented Australia at the Eurovision Song Context. Since then, he has released albums, performed workshops for Indigenous kids and taken a petition to federal parliament. Well, last week we brought you the first part of an interview of Isaiah Firebrace with Living Black's Color Grant. The artist openly talks about his humble upbringing and meeting his mother for the first time. After your success with The X Factor and Eurovision in 2017, your sister Janaya, um, mm. she told, told us that uh, you had brought the family together much closer than ever before. Um, are you proud of that? I am proud of bringing my family together because I know there's been a lot of disparities between siblings and other siblings and parents not talking and I'm glad that I can say that. I've been someone who has influenced that in the family because now, you know, I've con- I've connection with siblings who I really love and and a parent that I grew up without. So it means a lot to me. In one of your interviews that I've seen with you back in your school days, you said you wanted to be a role model for other First Nations kids. Do you think you have achieved that goal? I would I would hope so. Thanks for having me. I know just from my own experience, like people have, the mob has come up to me and, you know, told me how much, you know, they've watched my journey and how inspirational I am. I mean, I hope that I'm doing a good job at what I do. I always think of things of, you know, what's the next thing to do? What should I do next? What are my goals? But being present and just taking a look at what's happened in the last few years is important. That's just like something, I guess, that comes along in, in the territory of what I do. You know, you've got to be someone that's, that's willing to be positive and, and be influential in the best way. And, and especially for our mob, you know, like it's super important to, I don't want to say someone like me, but to, to do what I do. You've been a very busy young man, giving uh, of your time doing free workshops with Aboriginal kids and performing free of charge as well from, you know, Mount Isa to Palm Island and beyond. Yes. (laughs) Um, Why do you do that? Well, giving back. It's all about giving back. And, like, that's 
going back to my dad, like that's one of the things that he has taught me, you know, give, give back, you know, re- remain humble, like just get that act of giving back your, even your time um, is very special. It's allowed me to connect to people in far and wide different places and also see, um, see things and see communities that I would never have seen before. So as we know, you're a proud Yorta Yorta and Gunditjmara man. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about your latest achievement, the 300,000 strong petition you took to the federal parliament to make the, che- the teaching of Aboriginal history compulsory in primary and secondary schools? Yeah, so I had the amazing opportunity to go to Canberra, right at the front of, of parliament, to present my petition to include Aboriginal history and culture into primary and, and secondary system, education systems. Um, and that was just, that was honestly one of my proudest moments because it's something that I've always believed in since I was a kid. And it's something that wasn't in my experience as a kid, you know, in primary school and secondary school. I was thinking, hang on, we're in Australia. Like, why are we learning about, you know, history about other countries and things like that. Why we need to learn about our own. And it was honestly just like this idea that came to my head and I made the petition thinking that, you know, maybe you'll get a thousand or 2000 signatures and for it to blow up to like what it is now was just crazy because I thought it, I thought this was only my dream, but so many people out there believe in it as well. And education is the key for change. If we're learning that from a, from a young age, people grow up with that awareness and that and that respect and that's something that I really want to see. Are you going to keep pushing the campaign and, and have you received support from, from Canberra and politicians around the country? I still am going to be pushing this petition. Tanya Plibersek took um, the ballet box inside into the chambers and presented it as well. So the conversation is like just getting started really because last year in NAIDOC week it grew 75,000 signatures. So hopefully this year it keeps growing and I'm going to be still pushing it and getting people hopefully in Canberra and wherever I can to to get on board. I mean, all I can do is like use my voice and my platform to to bring change and for it to be where it is now. It's like amazing, but we still need to keep pushing. I'm going to still do it. I just wanted to ask you also about January 26. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, it's a it's a very you know difficult and painful uh, day for yes. for us as First Nations yeah, mob. Yeah. Um, but you've performed a segment for the Australia Day live concert mm-hmm. that's being held in Sydney. Um, you know, given your understanding of history and of colonisation, yeah, yeah. you know, um, do you have any misgivings about you know performing on that day? I do know there's like you know there's. Everyone's got their own views of it and a lot of my people, a lot of my family as well, like don't celebrate on that day as well. But, you know, I kind of look at it that I'm there showcasing that I am an Indigenous person and I'm here. I can still be an Indigenous person, stand up on here and be proud of who he is and show everyone that we're still here. And no matter what's happened in the past, like you can still be strong enough to, to show who you are. You've had a fascinating career so far at the ripe old age of 22. (laughs) 
You've performed at G'day USA in, in LA on behalf of the Australian government's promotional efforts and you've even uh, sung uh, the national anthem at the Jeff Horn title fight in Vegas. Mm. Um, you said singing the national anthem makes you feel proud. Why is that? I mean, when I first came into this industry, um, I guess I was kind of just like just doing what everyone like was telling me to do, singing what I needed to sing here, there and everywhere. As I've gotten older and really dived into who I am as an Indigenous person, you know, things like the anthem, I've had different perspectives on it. And, you know, it's, you know, with, you know, the anthem is also another thing that's a bit controversial, you know, with our people and and things like that. But um, like I said, like, it's it's a proud moment for me to be an Indigenous person, like, on those stages, like, singing it for for the country that I am originally from. Um, you know, there are some like lyrics obviously in that in that anthem that I now don't really agree with and and I hope that one day that we can do something with the anthem or incorporate like a, a language section in it or do something like that. But um like I said it, it makes me it, it does make me proud to kind of stand up there and like I said be a black man like who's successful in his own right, like singing that song for the country. I think me representing Australia in that way is is, is kind of cool. And that is uh, Isaiah Firebreast in conversation with Living Black's Color Grant. Time for a break. And we continue this conversation straight after the break. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. Welcome back, and now we continue the conversation between Living Black, Scala Grant, and Isaiah Firebrace. And you'll hear Isaiah is sharing the story about his music, his petition to Parliament, and his life. Now, late last year, you created a, a bit of a storm on Twitter when you said, and I quote, I love women, but I can't say I haven't had attraction to the same gender or yes. more. <laughs> I believe women are, are God's gift and having a family is one of my dreams. Mm-hmm. Love is love, just be you. No one can dictate your own experiences. Is it really hard, you know, growing up, I guess, in the public, you know, eye and being public property? Mm. It's hard. Um and sometimes I forget as well. <laughs> sometimes I'm like, oh, wait, no, what I put out there, like people potentially are talking about this. But it's true. I mean, like what I do and what I put out there, it's it's out there and, and people, you know, talk about talk about it if they, if they want to. And I kind of like felt like I kind of jumped the gun and also I didn't really want that side of my personal life being talked about or, and things like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I do... I did, I, what I said is, is true though. Like I do believe like love is love and I kind of, I've had my, my own um, difficulties with my sexuality in the past because I've, I had some very traumatic experiences happen to me when I was a young kid. Um, so growing up and kind of like figuring myself out what was definitely very hard um, and very confusing. Um, so I guess I kind of, that's also kind of why I took those sweets down because I was like, mm, maybe I'm opening up a can of worms that I'm not ready to talk about yet. Seems like you're returning to where it almost all began contesting Eurovision, this time on Eurovision Australia Decides. Yes, yep. um, Why are you trying again? Why am I trying again? Uh, well, 
I did have the opportunity to go in 2017 uh, to the Ukraine to represent Australia, which was like the best experience ever. Um, I had so much fun. And honestly, like Eurovision is like just such a great experience that when I had the opportunity to give it another crack, of course, I was like 100%, I wanna give this another try. And just kind of wanted to just show everyone how, how much I've grown and and also showcase my artistry a bit more with the song that I have. Um, it's a song that I wrote. That's the name of our song. It's called When I'm With You. So the song is a collaboration between myself and Evie. And we, we wrote this song together in a songwriting session like last year, early, early last year. And I guess we were trying to figure out, oh, how can we release it? I'm glad that we found a way now to to get this song out there and at Eurovision. Like it's gonna be it's gonna be really cool. I'm really proud of this song, and like I said, I really want to show the the fans out there and everyone watching like how much I've grown because now this is a song that I've I've got credits on, right? Like I've been in the studio putting my creative energy into this um, in comparison to my first Eurovision song, which was written for me, which I don't necessarily like to do that much anymore sing other people's songs because I I know that I'm capable of creating my own thing and also I feel like I can connect to my own songs more. So tell us a bit more about the song itself and the lyrics. It's a song about you know like being with that special someone that makes you feel like awesome um, and also it kind of has a bit of elements of like this whole COVID experience and like not being able to be with the close to the ones that that you love, so it's kind of got that kind of aspect to it. Um, some of the what's the lyrics on the chorus? Um, you can you can waste all my time. Minutes turn to hours. I don't even mind. Give me all your problems and I'll give you mine because I feel alright when I'm with you. It's been a up and down last few years to be back on that stage sharing music with an amazing artist and putting a song out there that I really love is all I'm looking mm. forward to. And if you don't get to represent Australia, will you be disappointed at all? Mm, I, w I wouldn't be disappointed. And like, like I said, like any one of those artists that do get chosen to go, like I know like they will, they will absolutely smash it. There has been a lot of rehearsals and a lot of things put into like this whole project and, and me being there and all our performance. So I guess it'll be kind of a letdown in that kind of way. But honestly, like, it's, I'm just there to enjoy it and have fun. And yeah, whoever gets to go, like, you better do a good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've got a, a big shoes to fill given, you know, Jess has been there, you've been there, Darmy. Yes, yeah, it's been Yeah, and before, before I went in 2017, like, I, I was after Darmy, him, and she had come second. And, like, there was, like, a lot of pressure because, like, she absolutely smashed it and... And yeah, like thinking back, like I had a lot of um, big shoes to, to fill and like being only 17, I was like, this is just crazy. But um, yeah, no, your vision is fun. Like you, you, can't, you can't take things too seriously in life. You know, just take a chill pill and just remember like why you're there and that's music and to share, share that gift with others. You released your new album late last year and you're about to start a, a national tour as well. Mm -hmm. um, are you excited to hit the road despite the risks of COVID? 
I am excited. I mean, like, obviously, like, the whole COVID thing is still lingering around, but I, I don't know. I hope that I can be on the road. It's all being planned. I'm doing it with Live Nation. So being on the road is going to be cool. And Isaiah is currently writing a book of Aboriginal history designed for use in schools that's due for release in November. If you'd like to watch this interview again, log on to SBS On Demand. And uh, this brings us to the end of today's program. Thank you very much for your company this uh, Monday afternoon. I'm Bertrand Tungandame. Wishing you an excellent afternoon. Till next time. Bye for now. Yellow. Want to hear more stories like this? Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from.